The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Awesome. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're going to be studying the, uh, we're in our very last week, we're going to be studying the very final part of Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Um, this is week 10 of a 10-week series that we've um, been walking through this book of Philippians 4. Uh, and what's interesting is that three weeks ago, if you were here, you'll remember that uh, that was, well, I, I, at least I stood here three weeks ago and said that that was going to be my last sermon in this series. Uh, it, w- it was my plan that uh, after that week we'd have a couple of guest speakers and um, that would work out quite well. However, um, what I planned and what God willed was different. Uh, I got COVID a few weeks ago and so it all kind of went a bit pear-shaped and I'm really, really grateful uh, for Dave Fowler who came and preached for us and, like, with like three days' notice. And then even Josh Lean, who preached for us last week, he was meant to preach this passage today last week, uh, but graciously offered to switch passages at the last minute to be able to um, do that and to be able to, um, to, to preach for us there. So that was really great. And, and that's quite fitting for today because what I willed and what God willed, what I had planned, what God had planned was different. And that's, we're, we're going to see that in this passage today. We should remember that when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church, he had chains on his wrists. And on the other end of those wrists, on the other end of those chains, were Praetorian guards, fierce Roman soldiers who were rostered to sit beside Paul day and night while he sat there under arrest. These guards were elite soldiers, and they were actually the personal bodyguards to Caesar himself. And so Paul found himself quite restricted as he wrote this letter to the Philippians. And the reason why that fits so well is that Paul had actually always wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go there to preach the gospel. Rome was, of course, the center of the empire. And Paul's desire was to get to Rome and preach the gospel in Rome and to see God's kingdom pulsate out from Rome like ripples from a rock being thrown into the middle of a pond. So yes, Paul had made it to Rome. However, it was not under the circumstances that he had planned, that he'd wished. What he had planned... And what God had planned, what God had willed, were different. And we're going to see the Lord's remarkable providence in, in remarkable ways before this letter is finished. You see, God's ways are better than our ways. The Bible teaches us that there is actually a God. If you've joined us this morning and you're not a Christian, you might disagree with that. But we believe that there is actually a God and there is nothing that our God doesn't know. There is nothing that our God cannot do. There is nowhere that our God isn't. And everything that God does is perfectly good. He is perfect in every single way, high above us in every single way. But we, in our sin, we desired to usurp the king of the universe. And we rebelled against God. And we made these great attempts to try and pry Jesus off the throne and place ourselves on the throne at the center of the universe ourselves. And because of that, 
We absolutely deserve the forever wrath of God. But God, in his infinite mercy, did not give us what we deserved, but he instead sent his son, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place and to take our punishment. So that anybody who simply puts their faith in Jesus, anybody who trusts in him as their Lord and Savior, they will not get what they deserve, but will instead get what Jesus deserves. We are credited with Jesus' perfect record of obedience, and we become entitled to all of the blessings and the benefits of Jesus Christ, the, 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 one, the, the blessings and benefits that he himself is worthy of alone. This is what the Bible calls grace. And if I can be honest, I still, it still makes no sense to me that a holy God would ever love me that much. I've never given God any reason to love me. None of us have ever given God a reason to love us that much, but he does. And his reason for loving us that's, and for bestowing that kind of favor on us, that's his business. That's what he has, desire, has, has designed to do. And at the very least, we can know this, that he, us, us receiving his grace, us glorifying it, it's got something to do with the fact that it brings him glory when we accept his grace. When we receive God's grace, when, he, when we look at Jesus Christ and he, we say, yes, that's, he did that for me and I'm going to receive it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to take that on, that glorifies him. Here's the thing. If, if we are unwilling to accept God's grace, then the passage that we're about to walk through is going to go right over our heads. If we don't understand the gospel, then reading this passage will be kind of like walking through a museum and seeing an old relic on the wall somewhere. And we'll, we'll see it and we'll, we'll say, oh, that's nice. That's interesting. That was, that was kind of a, a thing for, for another time, and then we'll pass on unchanged. But if for the next 40 minutes or so, we can humble ourselves and open ourselves up to the blistering reality of God's grace, if we can suspend our disbelief for a moment and consider that, that actually God is who he says he is, and he loves us as much as he says he does, and his grace is, is infinite and, and perfect for us as much as it is, then this passage will become alive to us. If we are willing to humble ourselves and admit that we don't have it all together, that our efforts to, to earn God's favor are actually quite pathetic and completely misguided, and we're actually all just a bunch of dopes, when it comes to accepting the grace of God, if we can admit that, then this passage is going to come alive to us. It's going to be wonderful. So let me read it for you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. Then we're going to pray, and then we'll take a look at it. Philippians 4, verses 10 to 23. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would visit with us this morning uh, and be with us, Lord, as we know you are always with us. And, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would point our eyes and our gaze and our attention and, and all the, everything about us, Lord, towards the grace of Jesus Christ, so that we might glean what you want us to glean from this, Lord so that we might receive what you want us to receive from this, Lord. And Father, we, we thank you that your word is, is sharp and, and penetrates. And so, um, Lord, we, we, we trust you. We, we trust you with our hearts this morning. We, we trust you that you're going to do a good work in us, that what you do, everything that you do is perfectly good, Lord. And Father, where we are all struggling to fully submit and Fully bow the knee to you, Jesus our King. Would you reveal to us that there is no greater King than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? There is no greater ruler, there is no greater master for us than you, our great God. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, when I was a, a youth pastor many, many years ago, we used to play this uh, game. We used to run this game called Bigger or Better. And what we would do is we would send out, some of you are nodding, you're smiling, like, yeah, I've played that. Um, so we, we would send out the teenagers out uh, away from the church throughout the streets. We lived in the, the, the church was in this neighborhood area. And we would send the teenagers out in teams of like five or six. And we'd send them out with like a paper clip or a toothpick, or a pen lid, something small and insignificant. And what these teenagers had to do was they had to knock on the doors of these people who were trying to have just a really quiet Friday night, and we would, they would say, I've got this paperclip, would you like to trade it for something bigger or better? And whatever that person came back with, the team had to trade with them. And the competition was they had an hour to knock on as many doors as they could and trade as many times as they could to be, then to be able to come back and the team that had the biggest thing or the best thing won. <clears throat> now, it sometimes backfired. Um, sometimes you'd trade a paperclip for an empty milk bottle 
and then you'd be then you'd stuck with an empty milk bottle trying to trade that to somebody and they're going well, I don't want your milk bottle um, and so you try and trade that and you end up coming back with like bags of rubbish but you've got to do it um, uh, one time in the in the neighborhood somebody was renovating their kitchen and so the team came back with two kitchen benches and a kitchen sink um, that was fun um, and it was uh, I don't know what we did with it actually I just it disappeared so um I figured someone took it to the dump. Um, one occasion, though, uh, a team came back with a Game Boy. And it was, like, amazing. Like, they got, we got a Game Boy out of this. This is really cool. Uh, and then uh, all of our consciences were, like, pricked. And we're like, oh, that's probably what happened there. And the team explained that it was actually a child who answered the door. And they couldn't remember which house it was. And so we were like, oh, how are we going to... How are we, we going to get this Game Boy back to this family? And... Um, Turns out the kid who answered the door, it was actually his brother's Game Boy that he was trading away and got something else in return. But thankfully, the parents who were quite upset about this tracked the church down and called the senior pastor, and um, he invited me to his office for a please explain. Um, And the thing about receiving the grace of Jesus is it's a little bit like playing bigger or better. You come to God with something not just small and insignificant, it's actually terrible. And not just terrible, but even made it's worse because our sin is committed against our God. And he takes our sin and he hands us back something that is infinitely bigger and better than we could ever imagine. It's called the righteousness of God. And it's worth infinitely more than anything else that we've got going on. All the treasure, all the gold, all the stuff, all the nice things in the world is like dung compared to the righteousness of God that is given to us freely in Jesus Christ. When you've received the righteousness of God, you've traded up. And that truth undergirds everything that Paul says here. If that wasn't true, then Paul's words here, they would be quite painful to read and they would likely crush us with their weight. But because the gospel is true, it does to this passage what helium does to a balloon. You see, this passage is all about money and stuff and treasure and how we relate to those things as Christians and what they mean to us after we've received the righteousness of God. You see, while Paul was in prison, a guy named Epaphroditus showed up with a gift from the church in Philippi. We're not exactly sure what the gift was, was made up of. It was just money or some other things as well. But upon receiving that gift, Paul experiences an eruption of joy. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, because once again, you renewed your care for me. This is what the Philippian church had always done for Paul. As Paul understands it, they had always looked for opportunities to serve him in this way. He says, you were in fact concerned about me, he says in verse 2, but lacked the opportunity to show it. Sorry, verse 11, that is. You lacked the opportunity to show it. They wanted to support Paul, but they didn't know where he was. They didn't know what had happened to him, and so they hadn't had the chance. Once they did find out, though, they sent Epaphroditus with this gift. 
This is what grace-driven generosity looks like. It wasn't just a a once-off gift. It was part of their DNA as a church to throw generous, sacrificial, and joyful support behind Paul. This is the kind of generosity that the Bible teaches us to practice as Christians. Generosity that has no limits. Generosity that exacts the highest cost. Generosity that is flooded with joy. And when we think about generosity like this, it might cause us to shift uncomfortably in our chairs. Make no mistake, for many of us, the hardest thing that we will ever have to part with is our stuff. Our culture is saturated with the message that all we need is more. And the more we have, the happier we'll be. It's hard to deny the intoxicating appeal of having more. I don't know if you, about you, but if you're on the Anaconda uh, email list, you've been getting Father's Day messages all this week. And those those emails they're intoxicated and I look and I'm like oh I could do with another swag and I actually got another swag for Father's Day I'm so, I'm so amazed but I was so excited about that but these things, the, the, this culture is intoxicated and we look at these things and we go oh it would be nice to have that and that can make us a little bit nervous when the Bible starts talking about generosity, when the Bible starts talking about giving But what the gospel does as our hearts marinate in God's grace is that it eases our white-knuckle grip on our stuff. It relaxes the muscles in our hands to give in ways that are sacrificial and generous and joyful. And this is actually really clearly seen in the Gospels, particularly if you read Luke chapter 18 and 19, where there's these stories of two men who encountered Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, we get the story of a man who is known as the rich young ruler. And then in the next chapter, we get the follow-up story of the man called Zacchaeus. Now, both of these men were incredibly wealthy. They both had lots of money, lots of possessions. Both of them came across Jesus and even had a personal dialogue with him. Both of them had this opportunity to receive the grace and salvation of Jesus But one of them trusts in his own version of the gospel, and the other trusts in the gospel of Jesus. The rich young man trusted in his own goodness, because by doing that, then God was obligated to him. God was obligated to save him. As long as he performs, as long as he holds up some part of the deal, then God is obligated to uphold his end of the deal. Jesus saw through this, though. He knew the the trigger points for this guy. And when this guy was confronted with the prospect of being separated from his stuff, he walked away from God because his stuff, his money, was way too important for him. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, knew that he had no goodness of his own to trust in. And when Jesus approached him, And when Jesus got to the bottom of that sycamore tree and looked up at Zacchaeus as he was sitting in a tree, and when Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus, probably the first person ever to actually look up at Zacchaeus, and it was God. 
And when Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, and he bestowed this incredible honor on Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus experienced and received the goodness of God and very willingly and gladly gave away the stuff, gave away what was most important to him. See, one of them received the grace of Jesus and the other one didn't. One of them in their pride shoved grace aside and said, no, no, God, I'll pick up the bill. And because of that, he could not be separated from this stuff. He could not give. The other in humility received something that he could never earn. And then he was able to give. And if we're unable, if we're unwilling to receive grace, then the command to be generous will be like nails on a blackboard to us. It will chafe against our hearts. But if we receive the grace of Jesus Christ, then generosity will become strangely normal and full of joy. This is why Paul was rejoicing at the gift of the front of the Philippians. It wasn't just because it was a good gift. It wasn't just because his needs were met. He says, I don't say this out of need. It's because this sacrificial gift was evidence that the gospel was still at work in the heart of the Christians in Philippi. They were still giving, which means that they were still gospeling. This gift demonstrated that grace was still the, the fuel that was powering their engines. Paul's rejoicing because he knows that the longer that someone walks with Jesus, the more con content they're going to be because when they have him, they have everything they need. Paul himself knows this firsthand. He knows the incredible position grace lands someone in. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Now, that's quite a statement. Paul has learned the secret of being content in this life. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus. There's been times where Paul's been hungry, when he's had great need, when he's had little at all, and the grace of Jesus has taught him how to be okay with it, how to be fine with it. When he's had nothing, he's still been rich in grace. To know that poverty and loss is no longer a threat, it's like being bulletproof. You can't threaten a person like that. But further than that, Paul also knew what to do when he had plenty and abundance and when he was being well fed. He'd experienced times of hunger. He also experienced times of being well fed. He'd experienced times of need. He also experienced times of plenty. But he's not blinded by these things. These things haven't seduced him into diverting from Jesus. Loss no longer threatens him, and stuff no longer casts the intoxicating spell over him. Paul would have been really frustrating for a salesman. Having, having lots doesn't entice him. He's not drawn to that. And having nothing doesn't leave him in despair. He, he's immune from that now because of the grace of Jesus. What if we became like that? 
What if the church became the most frustrating subculture for our world's consumeristic agenda? What if Christians just messed the game up? Like, what if Christians became known as the kind of people who advertising held no sway ever? What if the church was full of people who weren't enticed by the kinds of lifestyles on offer and instead devoted their lives to building God's kingdom, regardless of the cost? What if the church rejected the lie that the more stuff we have means greater level of happiness? What if the church totally frustrated the consumeristic agenda of our world? What if we became content with nothing and generous with everything? Sounds great. Like to actually be at that point where the Anaconda catalogue doesn't entice you anymore. And the, and the insufficient funds message on the FPOS machine doesn't leave you in despair. We can only get there, it's only possible, through the grace of Jesus Christ, knowing that what we have in him is far more and far better, than, far, far better than anything else than we've got going on in this life. It is Jesus Christ and his extravagant love, his rich love towards us, who enables us to live lives like that. This is why Paul says about, about living that way, he says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that's one of the more famous verses from the Bible, and unfortunately, it's, it's often interpreted to mean something along the lines of, I can do anything I want so long as I quote this verse. However, if we were to, to leave that verse in its context, leave it right where it is in Philippians 4, and understand it rightly, Paul is saying that being content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in is only possible through Jesus Christ who strengthens us to be able to do that. If we attempt to try and be content with nothing through any other means other than Jesus, we're going to become incredibly frustrated. We need Jesus to put strength into our bones, the kind of strength that only comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. If not that, we'll only find ourselves confused and annoyed. But the more that our hearts soak in all that we have in Jesus, the more we'll be open to be joyfully generous. This is where Paul's at. He doesn't need the gift. He's fine without it. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it still means a lot to him. He says, still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. It was such a wonderful thing for Paul to know that despite his circumstances, despite the... the the difficulty he was facing in Rome, not just from his chains, but from other Christians around who were using his imprisonment as a means of leveraging their platform. It was such a wonderful thing for him to know that there were still Christians out there who were supporting him, who were standing by him. And that was evidenced by this gift. Have you ever known friendship like that? Friendship that sits in the trenches with you, that stands by you no matter what. I, I think I have been the recipient of that, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. 
But more than that, I hope to be that friend. And I hope and I pray that we would be that church. We would be the church that throws away the Christian cultural norm of jumping from one church to another based on our appetites and would instead, would instead, sorry, would instead join one another in the trenches. This is why we cling to the gospel here. Because there's simply no hope of doing that and being that for one another without Jesus Christ strengthening us to do that. This is who the Philippian church was to Paul. They partnered with him in his hardship. Not just when the going was good, but when the going was rough as well. Now, and this, this seems to be classic, Christian, classic Philippian behavior. Because we could paraphrase verse 15 and 16 by saying, Paul saying, you guys know that in the early days after I left Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, you were the only church that partnered with me. Even in Thessalonica, you send gifts for my need several times. And actually, if you read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 11, Paul continues to boast about this church. that They continue to give not just to him, but also to, to the other churches in need. And they gave sacrificially, not just when they had the money, they gave according to their means, and then they went beyond their means as well. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the fact, he talks to the, to the Corinthians and he says, I don't want your money, I'm being supported by the, the, the church in, in Macedonia, this church in Philippi, I don't need your cash. This, this church continued to support Paul this whole time. They gave regularly. They gave when no one else did, and they did so sacrificially. They gave a lot. Paul says to them, guys, this is too much. I've received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am fully supplied. Epaphroditus showed up and he gave me everything. And the reality is if this was just a gift just to Paul, then it might be too much. But it wasn't just a gift to Paul. It was actually a gift to God. They were doing this also for God. He calls it a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You see, this isn't just about someone being generous towards another person. This is gospel-driven, grace-driven generosity in response to the glory of God. And this is what makes sense of verse 17. Paul says there, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. He knew that no matter how much they gave, they would still be making a profit. Not a financial profit, but a spiritual profit. No matter how much they gave, they were still in that same position of trading up. My sons are really into Pokemon and Pokemon cards and all that kind of stuff. And they love going to school and trading their Pokemon cards with their friends. And I'm always nervous because I'm just trying to help them to understand that you've got to trade up. You don't want to trade down. Like I don't want some, you know, scumbag swindler and prep B to scam Banjo out of like one of his good Charizard VMAX cards. Like they're good. He's only got one or two of them. And I don't want him to come home having traded that for like, I don't know, like a metal energy card or something like that. Like if you know Pokemon, you know what I mean. That's not a fair trade. That's terrible. I don't want him to be scammed out of that. In the gospel, we don't trade down. 
If you're a Christian, it means that Jesus has traded his righteousness for your sin. That's the exchange that's happened. We don't trade down, we trade up. We come to the table with our dishonesty, our pride, our prejudice, our dark thoughts, our lies, our gossip, our agenda. We bring to the table all the times that we rejoice at somebody else's downfall because it made us feel good about ourselves. We also bring our malice, our cruelty, our impatience, our unfaithfulness. We bring our stinginess. We bring to the table our internet history, our greed, our addictions, our shame, and basically every dark deed and thought and posture of our hearts. And Jesus comes to the table and he says, I'll take all of it because I'm taking all of you. And I'm also going to take from you the things that you failed to mention. And in exchange, I'm I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my perfect record of obedience. I'm going to give you my inheritance. I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to take your spot on the cross, and I'm going to give you a spot in my Father's house. I'm going to give you the right to become a child of God, and I'm going to absorb God's wrath for your sin, and I'm going to utterly remove your record of wrong from your life, and no one will ever be able to put that back on you. If you're a Christian, you've traded up. You've made a profit. And it's a profit that is increasing. It only gets better. This is why biblical giving is joyful. We can't outgive God. Paul says in verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. No matter how much following Jesus costs us, we have already been given and are being given and will be given something that is far more valuable than we could ever gain or lose, the righteousness of God. If you're a Christian, then you have been declared righteous, perfect, holy by God because you've trusted in Jesus Christ. God has declared you righteous and no one, not even yourself, can declare you to be unrighteous, can undeclare that. It means that you're no longer an enemy of God but a child of God and you're entitled to enjoy all of the blessings and all of the, the, of the endless supply of the limitless riches of the boundless glory of Jesus Christ for all eternity. That's what makes following Jesus so amazing. We'll get to one day see Jesus in all of his glory. Glory is what we're after. We love glory, don't we? We love it. We can't get enough of it. A week ago, I was in the Blue Mountains, and uh, I was there on a pastor's retreat thing, and where we were staying was in this uh, hotel, and the hotel lobby overlooked what is called uh, the Valley of Waters. And if you've ever been there, it kind of looks like the Grand Canyon, uh, but full of trees. Like it's, this, it's the, the Blue Mountains, and there's this huge, huge valley that comes up together in the middle, and it is absolutely stunning. 
It's the kind of place that you just want to you just want to continue looking at it. Like it's a retreat, and uh, my plan was I was quite tired. My plan was to get there and just just nap every time we had some free time, just have a nap in the hotel room. But then as soon as soon as I saw this view, I was like, I I can't spend a couple of hours a day in a hotel room when this is before me. I just wanted to to just look at it constantly. I wanted my eyes to be bigger so that I could absorb more of it. I was with another pastor from Adelaide, and he was like, man, I just want to go into it and just go everywhere in it. And I was like, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Like, it just was amazing. We love glory. That's glorious. We love looking at things that are glorious. We love for our eyes to, to, to dwell on things that are glorious. We want to look at glorious things. We want to eat glorious food. We want to smell glorious aromas. We want to hear glorious music. We want to feel glorious things upon our skin. It's exactly what we were made for. And praise God that he gave us eyes and ears and a nose and a mouth and the sense of touch and taste and all that kind of stuff to be able to experience those things. And all of those things are wonderful, but they are just a taste. They are just an entree to the main course. The main course is the glory of Jesus Christ that we will one day behold as we step onto the other side of eternity and see Jesus face to face. And whatever trials with what we've walked through, whatever we've given up, anything that we've lost in this life, we will see Jesus and within a second we'll say, worth it. Totally worth it. The glory that we behold in sights, like the valley of waters, the glory that we enjoy in smells like the smell of jasmine in spring. The taste of a cream bun at the beach. Mozart's piano concerto number 21, in C major. The embrace of a loved one. It's wonderful. But it's just a foretaste to the actual glory of God that we will see and enjoy for eternity. You see, God is big. We will never plumb the depths of his glory. He is infinite. We can't get our heads around him. There's just too much of him, for, too much of him to take in. I heard it put by uh, Wayne Groom this week this way. He said, consider... Like if we think about the magnitude of God and considering all the attributes of God, let's just consider the love of God, just one thing of God, the love of God. None of us are able to fully comprehend or get our heads around God's love for all of mankind, for all of human history. We, we, there's too much of it. We can't do it. In fact, none of us are able to get our heads around God's love for everybody in this room. In fact, none of us are experts at all on God's love for just us as individuals. And that's just the love of God. That's not to mention his justice, his mercy, his truth, his patience, his faithfulness. It's not to mention the infinite and eternal love that is experienced between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's also not to, to mention his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, or any other attribute of his, God is infinite in glory, and one day we will get to experience all of him, 
We won't get bored with him. We won't have to wait in line. We'll live in endless exponential ecstasy for eternity. We don't trade down when we follow Jesus. We get to, we have the promise of one day experiencing the glory of God unfiltered. It's going to be awesome. Can you see why Paul finishes this portion of the letter with the words, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's going to get glory. He's going to be glorified, not just because he deserves it, but because glory comes to him like gravity. God is at the center of the universe and everything revolves around him and is drawn to him. The very best blessing that anyone can hope for is an eternity of glorifying God. And in the grace of Jesus Christ, that becomes guaranteed for whoever trusts in him. We don't trade down when we become Christians. We only trade up. Here's where I hope this will land for us. I hope that we'll, we'll look at this. And as we look at this in the midst of a world where to get more stuff makes you happy and, and that message is, is constant. And it's no lie that it's quite intoxicating to buy into that. And we can try and design our lives and fill our lives with that stuff. But I hope that we will see through that and go, actually, there is something far greater and far more imminent to us. And he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we have him by simply trusting in him. You don't, we, we don't get Jesus because we're good enough. We don't get Jesus because we've performed really well. We don't have to convince him to love us or keep loving us. There's nothing that any of us can do that will make us a better candidate of salvation. And there is nothing that any of, us, any of us can do to make us more saved or to keep our salvation. He, he saves us because he is our saving God. He is our savior. He loves us not because we're lovely, but because he is lovely. And I hope this will land for us in the way that we'll look at God and we'll go, yes, I'm going to trust in his plans. I'm going to trust in, in what he has for my future. Whatever the rest of today folds out to be like, whatever this, uh, the rest of this week lands up being like, whatever this year, whatever the rest of my life plays, the, the, the way the rest of my life plays out, I'll continue to trust him. That his plans for me, his will for me, is better than anything else that I've got going on. It's, hard, it's sometimes really hard to believe that. Like it's easy to believe that sometimes on Sunday mornings because we're kind of in that zone, right? And then well, we go to get fuel and it says insufficient funds. Or we get that bill or that speed ticket. Or, or, the, or our kids' behavior just pushes us so much further than we thought we were able to, to bear it. Or we become incredibly disappointed in a friendship, a relationship, something like that. We, we experience disappointment of some kind. 
and it becomes really hard to trust God and his plans. But it's true. We can trust what God has for our future. And in the last couple of verses of Philippians, it ends with this truth. Paul sends his final greetings. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That's, that's bless and welcome one another in the way that Jesus has blessed and welcomed you. He says, the brothers who are with me send you greetings. There are other, other brothers in, the, in prison with, with Paul at that point. They, they send their greetings. Hey, Paul, make sure you say g'day from me. He says, all the saints send you greetings. And this is outside prison. These are Christians who are in Rome, and they're sending their... They know that Paul's writing this letter to the, to the church in Philippi. They want to send their greetings as well. But then look at the end of that sentence. He says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, that's incredible. That's the providence of God, proving that his ways are always better than ours. Why did Paul want to go to Rome? He wanted to preach the gospel. He wanted the gospel to penetrate the heart of the Roman Empire, even seeking an audience with Caesar himself. And here he was in Rome, but how did he get there? He was taken there in chains. And I wonder if Paul had thought to himself as he's been taken to Rome in these chains, if he's thinking, how, how is this? This is not what I planned. This is not what I wanted. This is not how the, the gospel is going to penetrate the Roman Empire. How is God going to actually do this? Well, Paul was chained 24-7 to a rotation of Praetorian guards. And they would have heard the gospel over and over again from Paul. In his proclamation of the gospel, in his prayers, as he's writing these letters, as he's having correspondence with other believers... And by the, sounds of these, by the sounds of things, some of these Praetorian guards, these elite Roman soldiers got saved. And though Paul couldn't get into the, the heart of the Roman Empire, these guys were the bodyguards of Caesar, personal bodyguards of Caesar. They had access to the very center of the Roman Empire and to Caesar's household himself. How does the gospel get into the heart of the Roman Empire? through these Praetorian guards as they hear the gospel from Paul. And they take it into to Caesar's household. Not just Caesar's family, but slaves, cooks, food tasters, musicians, entertainers, people who worked in there. And by the sounds of these things, some of them believe the gospel, and as these believers in Caesar's household, they hear of the apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. Oh, they're the ones... They're the ones who continued to support him. They're the ones who, who were his, his benefactors. They're the, they're the ones who, who made sure the ministry still happened. Can, can, someone, can someone send a message to Paul to tell that Philippian church that we're sending them our greetings, that we love them for that? That's what this verse means. This little church, 1,200 kilometers away, committed to the work of the kingdom. Continue to the work, committed to the gospel work of Paul. Paul spurred on by their generosity, enabled by their generosity, and now the gospel has reached into the very heart of the most powerful empire of the time. In February of this year, we partnered with a little church 
nine and a half thousand kilometers away in Kathmandu. We took up a special offering to advance the mission of the gospel. And we sent this money to Krushko Sanders Church and to some other churches in, that were in Ukraine and some other ministries around the place. And I say this because I'm just so jolly encouraged by you guys. I'm so unbelievably encouraged that this church in Philippi was doing exactly what we did at, in February of this year. That God is at work around the world and we have the gospel of grace to free us up to be generous and to support other ministries and other works that are going on around the world. And next month in October, we're going to be taking up another offering for Krushko Sanders Church. We're going to do advance the mission again. Uh, we're going to be, continue to support this church and, and support other ministries around the world, other church planting ministries around the world. And I'm just excited that we get to participate and do what the church does. Do what the church in Philippi did and do what God has called us to do. We can't be there in Kathmandu, but we can love and serve and, and support and encourage the church that is there. And so as we prepare not only for this gift on October, in October, but as we also seek to sacrificially and generously and joyfully lay down our lives for the sake of God's kingdom growing and the message of the gospel going out into the ears and the hearts of the unbelieving world around us, can, can we just be encouraged by, by Paul's very last sentence here in Philippians chapter 4? And we're going to end this series by letting God's word have the final word. Reading Philippians chapter 4, verse 23. Let's take this in. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.